0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridgehead on 5.30 a.m. at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I am the Communications Director for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. That website can be found at unmaskingchoice.ca, where you can also find recordings of other radio interviews that we've done in preceding weeks. Now, as those of you who have been listening along will know, in preceding weeks, we've done all sorts of interviews with, with different professors and academics and historical figures, taking a look at injustices of the past and and how people have responded to those injustices and the experiences of people who have gone through those injustices. Now, the interview we have for you today is with a woman named Ava Schloss. Now, if you're not familiar with her story, I would really encourage you to get familiar with her story. And the interview that we're going to be playing for you this afternoon will be the first step in that direction. Eva Schloss was born in in 1929 in Austria, and she is best known these days as Anne Frank's stepsister. All of you will, of course, have heard of the diary of Anne Frank, the young Jewish girl who hid in the Netherlands uh, from the Germans and eventually died in a concentration camp with her mother and her sister. Well, Eva. Eva Schloss' mother lost her son and husband in the concentration camps and eventually married Otto Frank, that being of course Anne Frank's father. And Eva Schloss and the Schloss family actually knew the Franks when they were all in Amsterdam during that period before they had to go on hiding from the Nazis. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Eva Schloss's story. So the first question I want to ask you is what are your earliest memories?
1: Oh, Um, well, from Vienna, my birthday parties, I think, you know, um, we had a wonderful uh, garden and we had lots of friends, and um, I loved it, it was in May, and in May at the time used to be always lovely weather and so on, so we had lovely, lovely parties, and, um, you know, I liked it very much.
0: What do you remember of your family before you moved to Amsterdam? Before you fled Austria to head to Amsterdam?
1: Well, I had um, a cousin from my father's um, sisters, a daughter. She was my age. We were very, very close. Um, the sister of my mother got a little baby boy, um, which was about a year old, and I loved to play with him. And um, my grandparents had lots of brothers and sisters, and they had lots of, of, of cousins and children, so we had a big extended family, and, um, you know, I, I loved all this, to have big reunions and big parties and big outings, skiing in winter, skating, swimming in summer, mountaineering, you know, mm-hmm. really lovely.
0: What made your family decide to leave for the Netherlands?
1: Um, Well, the the Hitler time, we knew that um, Hitler was um, doing terrible things to Jewish people in Germany. And, um, you know, uh, we knew that he might want to, there were voting and and propaganda, Nazis in, in Austria. We knew that the German army might occupy Austria and my father had the shoe factory, and he had connections in Holland, there was as well a big shoe industry, and so he decided it would be best for him to move there and start um, a new factory and, um, you know, be able to make a living. So
0: he chose to leave the Netherlands because he had pre-existing connections there already?
1: Yes, that's right, yes.
0: So when your family set up house in Amsterdam, what was life like living in the Netherlands?
1: we came rather late we came um, in in february 1940 and um, so we had a few months which it was lovely the dutch were very friendly towards refugees at school everybody wanted to be my friend and i was very happy but of course in may um, 1940 so after three months there was a war and the German invaded Holland, and then things started to change for Jewish people again. Not as bad as in Austria at first, but it started to become dangerous to go out in the street, and um, especially young men and men were arrested, and lived under lots of restrictions, and
0: so, you know, life was scared, scared again. So you lived nearby uh, quite a few other of uh, Jewish families, as well as Dutch Jewish families, according to, to many things that you've written. What was it like to be a Jew in the Netherlands under the Nazi invasion? Because as I understand it, uh, the Jews weren't arrested right away.
1: No, no, because they knew the population, they didn't want to alienate the Dutch population, you know? They wanted to tried to be friendly with them. But of course they hated them. Most of them hated the Nazis because after all they had conquered the country. And um, so they were much more careful how they implement the restrictions on Jewish people. And at first the Dutch said, but you know, they are not Jews, they are Dutch. And it doesn't matter what religion they are. Mm -hmm. So um, but of course they really wanted to get to all the Jews so they did it more slowly mm-hmm. but eventually they started to deport people and arrest people and it became very, very unpleasant seeing the least of it. And then in after two years they called up about ten thousand young Jewish men and um to be deported to Germany. And this was the time when, no, not just men, um, young people. And that was the time many, many uh, Jewish people went into hiding, including the Frank family and us.
0: Mm -hmm. So you first met the Frank family when you were in Amsterdam, am I right?
1: Yes, that's right. But first, of course, Amir, because we were exactly the same age. Mm -hmm. We were 11 years old at the time. And, you know, it was a big square, and we used to play outside in the street.
0: Right, so what were your memories then of, of Anne Frank? Well, you know, um, if I would give you a lot of details,
2: I would make it up. You know, she was just one of my playmates, and
1: um, she was very lively and very nice, and, um, but she was, I was a tomboy, and she was really a sophisticated little girl. So, you know, we were not best friends. She was interested in her hairstyles, in her clothes, in boys. And I had the brothers, so boys were no mystery to me. And, um, yeah, you know, we used to play with what kids do, skipping and gossiping. And, you know, but I can't say I had a particularly... um, impression of her more than any other of my friends.
0: Mm-hmm. How many young Jewish children were there that, that were part of your, your group of playmates?
1: So there were quite a lot. Um, a lot of, um, more from Germany than from Austria, um, because that was a new part of Amsterdam, was developed in the 20s, and a lot of the apartments had stood empty, so when Jewish refugees came, they could move in there. And so that's why I would say on this square there must have been perhaps 30 Jewish youngsters from the age of babies to teenagers.
0: When was it that your family decided to go into hiding because it was too dangerous to be out in public in, in Amsterdam? No,
1: well, my, my brother got a call up notice to be deported to Germany. And this is when we went into hiding in July 1942.
0: 1942. So, what was it like to live in hiding?
1: Well, that was, of course, um, I was with my mother. We couldn't find a place who would take four people. So, the boredom was for me um, nearly unbearable. You know, I was, as I said to you, I was a very outdoor, lively child, Mm -hmm. 40, and suddenly I had to sit still. Nazis did house searches. They came into houses, locked on doors, you know, and searched the houses. So we had the hiding place within the hiding place. Right. So when they came at night, we had to quickly go into those hiding places, hoping they wouldn't find us. So of course, we were never easy going to sleep, you know, would they come again? Would they find us? So there was a lot of tension as well.
0: What was the Dutch family who hid you like?
1: Um, Well, we went in about seven different places. So, where um, you know, there were people who hated the Germans. Once it was a a single lady who was a teacher. Once it was a family with two young boys. But all anti-German, anti-Nazis, you know? Mm -hmm. Very patriotic Dutch. And... um, Um, usually good Christian people who thought, you know, they had to help other people.
0: So the attitude of the Dutch toward the Jews was much different than in many of the other countries.
1: Having said that, Mm -hmm. there was as well a big Nazi party as well, like in all the occupied countries. So I would say 70% were anti-Nazi, 30% were sympathetic to the Nazis and um, helped the Nazis as well, betrayed Jews and things like that.
0: Mm, That brings us uh, uh, right to the next part of uh, of your story. So what do you remember of your betrayal and arrest? Who was it who betrayed your hiding place?
1: It was um, my father and brother had to change hiding place, and the Dutch nurse who said said she knows the safe house, she took them there to this place which was really a Nazi trap and my mother and me had gone to visit, so they could follow us, and so all four of us were arrested. But it was a Dutch nurse who was really a double agent.
0: Okay, and then where where were you sent after your arrest?
1: We were sent first to a prison, then to a holding camp, and within a week we were already on transport to Auschwitz.
0: What was the holding camp like?
1: We were there just a couple of days, so I can't really remember much, but it was run by Jewish people under supervision of the Germans, mm-hmm. and um, families could, they were not sleeping together, but they could see after work, you could go and visit each other, there was, um, I wouldn't say a lot of food, but it was enough to keep alive. Um, You had your own clothes. It wasn't too bad. The bad thing was that you never knew when you were sent on transport to the east.
0: Was there an awareness of what transport to the east meant?
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. We all knew what was going on in Germany and Poland.
0: So then after a week, uh, your whole family was was put on the transport and was sent. um, Which camp was was everyone sent to? Auschwitz. Auschwitz. And how old were you at that time?
1: Fifteen, just fifteen.
0: Fifteen years old. What are your memories of, of that time? face of all of that when when you're only a girl of 15 years old how did you how did you survive that time
1: well you know i was 15 i had experienced life not the wonderful life which we had had in austria i wanted to have a boyfriend i wanted to get married i wanted to have children and never ever gave up hope that the miracle would happen and we would make it my mother and me were lucky we made it, mm-hmm. but my father and brother didn't survive.
0: And they passed away in Auschwitz?
1: No, they were taken out of Auschwitz when the Russians were approaching. And, um, and thousands and thousands of people were taken away, marched into Austria
2: and Germany. After the war, those were called the death marches. Mm-hmm.
1: And many, many, many people perished. Mm-hmm. It was in December, January, 44, 45, so you can imagine, it was midwinter, it was terribly cold, the people were not fed, they had practically no clothes, people could just couldn't make it.
0: So when was the camp that you were liberated and when were you and your mother freed? Of the liberation of the camp?
1: Well, you know, there wasn't really. Um, the Germans left with most of the inmates, mm-hmm. and we were for 10 days about on our own, and then suddenly a few Russians appeared. And that was the liberation, you know, there was no. Um, there were very few people left. Um, You know, a few hundred women, most of them were very, very weak. A lot of them still died, even after the Germans had left, even when the Russians had been there already. And, um, you know, um, we didn't know what was going to happen. There was no, no, wasn't, wasn't really joyful or anything, you know?
0: Right, right. After the camp was liberated, where did you and your mother go?
1: Well, the war wasn't finished, so there was fierce fighting in Poland, and um, Germans even came back one day, and um, so the Russians decided they wouldn't leave us there, and they transported us eastward. We couldn't go westward, of course. Mm so we travelled um, uh, with the help from the Russians in in cattle trucks still because that was the transportation even of the troops. Mm-hmm. And we travelled for four months till we ended up in Odessa. And we travelled through so Russia, so Poland, so Ukraine, and we saw. Terrible, terrible devastation. The Germans had really burned down every town, every village. There was nearly nothing left.
0: Mm-hmm. So after after you ended up in Odessa, what, how did you and your mother begin to rebuild your life? If you had... Well, in Odessa, we were waiting for the
1: end of the war. Mm-hmm. And when that came, of course, then we really realized we had survived. That was then a big party there. And then we were anxious here of course. We had no idea what had happened to our family. Right. So we were very keen to get back to Amsterdam to hoping they would be there. Right. Or to find out what has happened. Right. So eventually again after a long journey we got back to Amsterdam and after about a month we heard the devastating news that my father and brother had not made it. Mhm. Mhm. And that was for us Worst, right? Definitely, you know. Eventually, we could get over our own degradation, our own suffering. But the loss of your family is something you, you know, you just don't get over ever.
0: Right, right. And then, yeah, then I understand. Then your mother got remarried.
1: Yeah. But after, after eight years, you know, eight years. we first struggled through the difficulties to make a living, mm-hmm. to try to, I went back to school, um, to try to make friends. But you know, it was very, very, after the war, they were terrible conditions everywhere in the right. continent and so life was really hard that we couldn't get over the loss that everybody told you who they had lost and you know as a children without parent that so their parents had lost their children it was a really really horrific time afterwards
0: and you were in the Netherlands Dr. at
1: middle of told us of course he had lost his whole family and he came to visit very often and helped me and my mother and so they got very very close mm-hmm. and then when I finished school I didn't know what to do with my life and Otto and my mother decided I should become a photographer which I didn't ma- I didn't mind I didn't really care what I was going to do I was still very very depressed and um, I went to London for a year to become an apprentice in a studio and that is where I met my husband and then Otto came over one day, and um, I told him that I wouldn't get married. I would go back to Amsterdam to my mother. I wouldn't leave her alone. And then he said, well, your mother and me have fallen in love as well. And when you are settled, we, we'd we like to get married. And this is what happened. So we got married in 1952, mm-hmm. and my mother and Otto in 1953.
0: Mm-hmm. What was it like after that?
1: Um, I never talked about, not to my husband, not to anybody, about what had happened to me in the war. And I was very shy. You know, if, uh, when you grow up, you are told you are like vermin, you are not worth a life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd lost all my confidence, all my love for life, really. And um, we were very poor, you know, we earned three pound a week. And uh, we lifted furthest accommodation and London was of course, there was rationing and a lot of bombing sites, they didn't have the money to rebuild. Mm -hmm. It was a hard life, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, and I desperately wanted a family and um, nothing happened, so I was very upset. And I had some hormone treatment because in the camp, you know, through the bad food and um, everything, mm-hmm. my whole system had gone haywire. Right. So eventually I had some hormone t- treatment I was able to conceive. And that was for me a big change to be able to give birth to a wonderful, healthy baby daughter. You know, then I started to become more of a ordinary human being I think. Mm -hmm. But you know my children, we have three daughters, they still say, um, well you were not an ordinary mother. So obviously the scars were still with me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I never spoke about anything um, till the 80s. And I think then when I started to speak, then um, the burden which had been heavily burdening me as things that was lifted then. You know, it took a good 40 years to get over
0: it. Right. And you wrote that at the same time that you were struggling with your pain, uh, your mother and Otto Frank were traveling around promoting Anne Frank's diary.
1: That's right, yes they were really, they, it was a wonderful uh, marriage, they really worked together, every project and, and my mother was actually very happy, I must say, and um, of course, you know, the, son of a, the loss of a son, you never get over either, but um, Otto and my mother really loved each other.
0: What made you finally decide to speak up in the 1980s and tell your story? was an Anne Frank exhibition which came
1: to London, um, created from the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam, and um, I was asked to speak there, and you know, as I say, I'd never spoken, but I mean, I was not asked in advance, I was just invited, and then being there, they said, and now I want to say something. Well, I didn't want to say anything, right. but I was sort of, had to, you know? Right. And that really changed my life.
2: Right.
1: And I decided then I should write my story. People asked me to. And that is when I wrote my first book, Eva Story. And um, then they asked me to speak everywhere and, you know, and that that was really then um, a watershed for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Did it help your family to understand more of, of what you had gone through when you finally started to speak out about your experience? For people who are around my age it, it's very it's often very hard to grasp what, what age are you i'm 25 right and it's, it's very hard to grab to, to grasp what, what has happened to people like you and even people like my grandparents growing up during the war and and to think that such things actually happened in in what was called western civilization and and, and
1: i know not i very know long ago. i think that's why the interest in the holocaust is growing continuously mm-hmm. you know because people know now more about it and just can't comprehend how it could have happened why the world didn't stop it Mm -hmm. why um uh, you know why how it could have happened, and what went wrong, and why, and you know, and people starting to, there are lots of um, universities who teach the Holocaust, lots of young people choose the Holocaust for that thesis, and it's really, um, thousands of books have been written from all kinds of um, corners to try to understand, even from the Nazi point of view, and um, So that it can't be repeated. Mm -hmm. That is really what is behind it. And unfortunately, um, you know, we haven't learned a lot. There's still an enormous, a lot of killing and hatred and discrimination. And that is a sad
0: thing. As a Holocaust survivor then, looking at the world today and looking at what you experience, what, what message would you give to people of my generation?
1: our socks and work together to change the world Mm -hmm. and um, you know young people think they have right on everything they are very spoiled. A good time, and and don't care so much about the terrible things which are still going on in the world.
0: So you're saying that in order to actually to fight these things and, and work towards these things, and we have to sacrifice and not be so focused on having a good yes, time. Yes,
1: definitely, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we are much more open now. Uh, um, we know what is happening all around the world. Um, we are a mixed society. We meet people from all over. There um, are so a lot of very, very, very poor country, children dying every minute of the day. And we know about this now. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't really do enough about it.
2: Right, right.
1: And what I think is is the difference between rich and poor is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually, um, you know, um, people won't put up with that. And I'm afraid, you know, if we don't change, change, there will be wars again and, and unrest and revolutions and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the one message you like to leave your audiences with when you speak about your story?
1: know what is going on in the world that you have that active part to try to improve things.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Mrs. Schloss, thank you so much for your time. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Ava Schloss, Holocaust survivor and Frank's stepsister, and as I'm sure you'll all agree, a very inspiring woman. Thank you all for joining us this week. And please tune in again next
2: week or listen to us online. And we'll have another interview ready for you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye.